Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 26 minutes now to 9. The time, time for your mediated conversation this morning. Last week in Santon, the BRICS block took a series of decisions that could well lead to big changes in how the world works. As you know, since really the end of the Second World War, but obviously before that, much of the global economy is dominated by institutions set up by the West. Whether it is the fact that France and Britain both have permanent seats and vetoes at the United Nations Security Council, while India and no one in Africa do not, whether it is the reliance on the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank as lenders of last resort, or whether it is the fact the U.S. dollar is still the global reserve currency, these are all a legacy of our different histories. However, the BRICS nations want to change this. Many of their leaders say there should be no one national group that is able to be dominant, no hegemon. And they've decided to invite Ethiopia, Egypt, the UAE, Saudi Arabia and Argentina to join the bloc. So then, what will change and what will not And how important was the role that President Cyril Ramaphosa played in all of this? There's so much to get through. We thought it might actually be easier to have two guests this morning. First, Professor Sipamandla Zondi is the head of politics at the University of Pretoria, an expert on international relations, uh, as you know, actually at the University of Johannesburg, my mistake. And Gustavo de Cavallo is a senior researcher on the Russia-Africa ties at the African Governance and Diplomacy Program at the SA Institute of International Affairs. We start then with Professor Sipamandla Zondi, director of the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation at the University of Johannesburg. Professor, I apologize and one day I'll get it right. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. It's a Monday. Good morning, Stephen, and good good morning to Gustavo, and good morning to the listeners. You're very forgiving. Thank you. Firstly, is it fair <laughs> to is it fair to say that BRICS is now important, more powerful, and perhaps more influential than it was before last week's summit? It definitely is. Um, BRICS has changed. Uh, just as when South Africa joined, BRICS did change. It did change even in basic things like and now a continent that was not represented was now represented. In this case, again, you have the Middle East represented, of course, almost overrepresented uh, from having no country to three countries. That's a, a, a major um a major thing so regional representation has now uh, 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 increased um so they now become a little more global than they were before secondly the kind of population that they represent which is a huge measure for global power has also increased quite significantly even more significant is the is the amount of resources they now Okay. With the likes of Saudi Arabia and huge billion uh, billions in their reserves and stuff like that, has also increased very significant. And lastly, politically, they have also become a little bit more significant, at least in two ways. Uh, uh, one is in relation to having regional powers increase in number that have a voice globally, that already have a voice individually. Argentina has a voice uh, uh, and so on. But in the second way is that you now have countries that are both a little closer to the West, like Egypt and and, and Saudi Arabia, and then countries that are not quite close to the West, that have a difficult relationship with the West at the same time, which then actually means that the BRICS will have to work very hard to become a bridge builder because that is how they are now composing uh, themselves. Uh, but that will all depend on what uh, Russia does as the president for uh, the chairperson for 2024 to make sure that you, you lead this, this group uh, through this 
bridge building transition that they are going at the same time as they will all be processing the next batch of new members and on a certain there will be new members accepted at the next summit who would going to go through a process now that was developed by the minister of for ministers of foreign uh, affairs uh, in the run-up to this summit so the balance of power in the world we all know it's shifting do you think it's going to continue to shift away from the west how far would that move go i realize it's very difficult to predict but would it move to more equality, the Western BRICS, more BRICS rather than the West? How do you see that? I, I think, Stephen, we need to be very careful about how we, we use our words. You referred earlier to change, uh, that the BRICS wants to change things. There are two forms of change. One change is a break with the current mode, uh, uh, leading to replacement. Another form is an expansion of the current um, form uh, to dilute it and diversify it. I think the BRICS represent the latter, the expansion rather than the replacement. Uh, whether on the dollar, it's not a replacement, but it's an expansion in the range of reserve currency. So it's not actually de-dollarization in the sense of removing the dollar, but it's to remove the dollar from being the sole and most global uh, currency, especially in the global south. Uh, similar in relation to what you, you are saying, uh, the, the the, the global balance of power is not a shift uh, from the West. The West is not losing what it, ha it has justly. It is only just losing its being sole source of um, power, uh, decision-making, ideas about where the world is going to. It now has to work with others without losing its power. So it, it's not a replacement, but it's an expansion of the possibilities. And I think uh, a key to it will be how the, the West sees it. If it sees this in us against them terms, then it would think this is a replacement. The mistake it has made with China uh, in response to China in the past 20 years, thinking that China is coming to become the new West. When China is not interested in taking over what the world has burdened itself with, but is interested in joining in and having a bigger say. And if it, the West does not see it that way, it will then engineer almost artificially a, an antagonistic relationship with countries that it has very strong relationship with. All the countries of, uh, of BRICS have a strong relationship with the West and they don't want to abandon that, but they simply want to expand them to other areas. Uh, symbolic of all of this, um, professors, obviously the United Nations Security Council, set up 70 years ago, is uh, still almost artificially dominated by Western powers. Um, but Russia and China both have a veto and a permanent seat. They say they'll support reform of the Security Council. Do you think we can believe them in that if there's a risk that they would lose a veto or a permanent seat? It depends on how the BRICS is understood. If the worst sees the, the BRICS as an a hostile body that is seeking to replace it, then it's going to be difficult because remember, the, the, the Security Council is split almost in half, three Western powers and two non-Western powers. And they, the two of them, the two blocks have to agree on this expansion and the terms of expansion because both have signaled that they are interested in this expansion and they think it's important and they think it's unjust not to and but if they see themselves the, the two the two sides as hostile to each other then this might be a dead end and that is why the un reform 
discussions have died actually in many ways uh, it, it partly because of this adversarial perception it's not the reality perception that is adversarial that those who are looking for change are adversaries instead of being simply change makers and, and stuff like that it is also what has uh, rendered the security council moribund but it's not been able to make major decisions in the recent past uh, because of the two sides checkmating each other they're going to have to change because otherwise the un security council will die natural death because it simply cannot function on these terms and the death of the un security council would be the worst outcome right we need a forum like that um it 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 it's it, we do not need a a un security council where the the, the, the members are checkmating each other because it's completely completely can't work um it has not been able to work for for about uh, five six even more than five years now for quite a long time um since the tensions between uh, the worst and china the worst and uh, and uh, and russia uh, rose up the the, the Security Council has been turned into a statement-making body, which simply makes a statement when it fails to reach a decision, uh, which is a statement to, like, we agree to disagree. Now, why would you need a body which will simply just be agreeing to disagree? Uh, because that's not what its envisage role was. Envisage role was that it would make hard decisions, it would make hard choices, it would compromise and uh, for global good. They would understand that we need an overall responsibility for international security, where regional bodies, where individual countries cannot take the right decisions. And as a result, um, a lot of conflicts that we've had in the in the, in the past decade have not. Um, benefited from the role of the UN Security Council. It's completely, completely been um, uh, shunted to the side. With the the war in Ukraine right now, it simply has no role. It had no role in Libya. It had no role in in Iran. It had no role in Syria. So if it dies, it might be that it will will not see a difference, but it might lead to the birth of a better body, more representative, bigger but, but also with teeth to bite. There's another aspect to all of this. If you read the, the, the declaration, it's called the Joburg II Declaration, I think. There's a big focus on human rights in the beginning. That phrase is there. And yet two of the new members, Iran and Saudi Arabia, both do not treat women as human beings. They deliberately deny them human rights. Um, other countries, I suppose ourselves, Brazil, I think perhaps India, other countries do support human rights. Is there going to be tension on this issue in BRICS or is everyone just going to ignore it? So it'll be in the declaration, but that's it. Uh, um, but it all begins with saying we are different countries with different uh, foreign policy outlook. They, they almost completely place that right up front. It is true. Um, there are countries with a very poor uh, record in relation to political human rights, but they do very well in relation to socio-economic human rights. Um, if you think about Saudi Arabia, they've done very poorly on women's rights and, and even political freedoms and freedom of association and all that, but doing very well in terms of socio-economic rights, which is relates to 
the human rights relating to social economy such as poverty um, and, and well-being uh, access to health access to education similarly you have countries that are doing very well like south africa uh, in relation to political human rights or what is called civic human rights uh, but doing very poorly in relation to the human rights relating to e social economy so it, it, it's going to be a lot of trade-off that need to happen there and it, those that have stronger civic human rights will have to persuade those who are poor ones uh, to really up their game um, because the, the BRICS uh, 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 subscribe to the holistic human rights both the economy the social and the and the political rights have to be advanced so there's a whole lot of horse training that must happen a lot of uh, pushing each other but it just might be remember we've been seeing that saudi arabia has been changing very slowly mm. over the past 10 to 15 years then that change perhaps would be accelerated by who it becomes members with and that influence will translate to a further slow change. Uh, it, the same with all the countries, and I, I guess even South Africa uh, been performing very poorly in terms of socio-economic rights. And um, and then its membership of BRICS must in, must realize that in it performing a little better in ensuring an improved quality of life for ordinary people. I, I guess that they should we should expect that they should influence each other and the platform should help them improve just as we show with the membership of many countries to the e eu that many came with very checkered um, records in, in performance and rights and all that but by via membership of the eu they have they and they feel under they feel obliged to keep improving perhaps that's what is going to happen here but we don't know we'll see it's also that people in the people when their countries joined the EU demanded rights. I mean, the same could happen in BRICS too. Um, Pres president Cyril Ramaphosa and, Pu and uh, President uh, Vladimir Putin actually specifically said he showed unique political mastery. I thought that was a fascinating comment. How important was President Ramaphosa to last week? Oh, of course. Um the, the manner in which BRICS works is that the chair of the BRICS in that particular year which is the president of that country and the minister of that country and the entire government of that country are responsible for the outcomes uh, that happen in that particular year. They have to lead at every level, at journalists, officials level, at senior officials level, ministers level, and the presidential level. And therefore, President Ramaphosa was hard-pressed to make sure that the South African diplomatic machinery was ready to deliver major outcomes uh, for this it, 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 because it, it, it has to do so and every country tries to do so and South Africa tends to be consistent in, in, in doing this. In 2013, um, we, um, South Africa led to the, the, the BRICS outreach, uh, which led to an outreach between BRICS and about 20 African countries. In 2018, that was expanded, including other developing countries. And in this year, it had to uh, deliver on the BRICS mandate in relation to expansion of the core membership. So it, 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 it does work well. It does send very positive signal, as Peter Bruce said in the, in the article on the Business Day the other day. It has really boosted uh, his profile internationally as, as, as a, a, an actor in global, uh, in global diplomacy and power. But the proof would be how much we maintain this. South Africa knows how to arrive at a stage. It knows how to host it knows how to 
uh, host very well, but it does not always know how to maintain between events and 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 not have just event uh, based prestige, but maintain over a period of time in the same way that, for example, um, China did when it had, it hosted the uh, the Beijing Olympics, and for about ten years it harnessed that in a very strong way. We need to be better, not just at starting, but we should be uh, much better at, at maintaining uh, this prestige and continue to lead and not disappear after three months and get absorbed by domestic uh, or even intra-party intra dynamics with the elections coming. Professor, I really appreciate the time this morning. Thank you. Professor Sipamandla Zondi is Director of the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation at the University of Johannesburg. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Eight minutes to nine. Continue your mediated conversation this morning. The outcomes of the BRICS Summit last week. Gustavo de Cavallo is a senior researcher on Russia-Africa ties at the Africa Governance and Diplomacy Program at the SA Institute of International Affairs. Gustavo, good morning. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you very much for having me. The main idea of BRICS is really about economics. It's supposed to lead to more trade between the BRICS nations. Do you believe that's going to happen at a faster rate after last week's summit? I think there is a possibility. I think there is a number of issues that we saw member states last week focusing on. And I think there is a very important geopolitical component within that. When we look into countries like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, UAE, and even to a certain degree, Ethiopia, they're all concentrated around a number of important trade choke points internationally. So we talk about the Swiss now we talk about the uh, Babelman that Strait that connects the, the Red Sea to the Gulf of Aden and, of course, the Persian Gulf as well. So, so when we're looking to countries like Russia that has been blocked from international trade due to sanctions, an increasing process of decoupling from the United States and China, there is a strong element in terms of increasing connections around that. So, for instance, if we're looking to this north-south corridor that Russia is building towards Iran and connecting directly to India, there is an important element around that. But another aspect that I think is particularly important is, is the conversation that is going to be led by ministers of finance and governors of central bank in the next year that relates to increasing use of local currency into trade. So you, you make those connections, you create those aspects, but, but, it, but it's important for us to, to also state that historically BRICS has not really been utilized as a main vehicle for increasing trade. That seems to be changing now, but it all depends on how it's existing and new members engaging in discussions, how they create structures that enable that, but also how do they deal with the internal dynamics? Noting that countries like Iran and Saudi Arabia have a very difficult relationship, Ethiopia and Egypt also have a very complicated history, and we shouldn't forget that even Argentina and Iran have a lot of their own complexities due to the bombing of the Jewish Association in 1994. Next year is the 30th anniversary of that, changing political environment in Argentina, and all of those will have an impact. So we'll, there is a possibility of that, but it will all depend on how member states will be driving that, not only in terms of the rhetoric of the changes that uh, these countries want to do, but also in terms of the actions that are done. You referred to some of the difficulties in the relationship. So before last week, we spoke about the rivalry and BRICS between India and China. Now, as you say, we've got India and Ethiopia, there's Saudi Arabia and Iran. 
Those rivalries could make BRICS more difficult, but they could also use BRICS as a way to resolve their rivalries. I mean, could someone come out of this last week, someone with a Nobel Peace Prize, because they found a way to use BRICS to help resolve these differences? I mean, that would be a major thing. And we've seen that in the EU. It's reduced tension across Europe to have people join the EU. You're absolutely correct. And I think there is a, if we look into the very brief conversation that President Xi Jinping and Prime Minister Modi had last week, uh, talking about uh, the escalation of some of the border issues. We've seen China playing a very important role and an increasing role, especially with uh, uh, the United States shifting its attention to other parts of the globe. Uh, uh, and especially when we're looking to the agreement between Iran and Saudi Arabia broke by, 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 by China. Certainly doesn't resolve all of the issues they have. Uh, a lot of the, the challenges are quite historical and, and and, 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 and politically sensitive, but there is uh, a multilateralism and integration tends to have a very important uh, a result that increases interconnectivity between countries, increases interdependence and reduces the, the willingness of countries to potentially to go to war with one another. That's being said, it's not saying that it's granted within the group. I think uh, countries need to still be very cautious in terms of how they operate and approach. Uh, uh, BRICS tends to be taking a very paced approach in terms of its increasing institutionalization, but it certainly a very important step towards uh, increasing integration within the global south and, and many possibilities ahead. Um, the other issue is the dominance of China. I mean, it dominated BRICS. It's still the biggest player, obviously. But will it lose some of its influence just because there are more people? And I mean, there's a risk for us. We were the smallest economy in BRICS. We're not quite the smallest economy now, but we also still could lose what influence we had. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think we often have sometimes a misconception that China dictates everything within BRICS. Of course, China has a major influence within the bloc. And when we're looking to the conversations that are, are taking shape at the moment, and particularly when it comes to the use of local currency, systems of payments and so on these types of initiatives require a larger number of countries right like when we're talking about the need for liquidity if we want to use our local currencies you need countries that are, are also engaging in a very high level of trade and it's unsurprising that many of the countries that are joining BRICS at this stage have one of the most sought after commodities globally oil. Uh, we, we are in a process of, of energy transitions globally and so on, but we still expect the, the oil to, to be the dominant energy commodity globally in the coming decades. So in that sense, it can potentially create a better space for its members to increase the liquidity and the possibility of the local currencies to have a, a, a stronger effect. We've seen since the war in Ukraine, and particularly with the situation of Russia, that often countries have faced situations when they are trading in local currencies that they can do anything with that. So if Russia buys, if Russia sells oil to India with rupees, how are they going to use that currency to buy other things globally? So, so to a certain degree, I think uh, uh, the focus largely in terms of the expansion is to enhance this potential interconnectivity between countries within the global south uh, and and to a certain degree i think china still has a major interest 
in that happening, especially when we're looking increasingly in Western countries and the United States in particular with a process of decoupling from China's economy. Gustavo de Cavallo, thanks very much indeed. Senior researcher on Russia, Africa ties at the African Governance and Diplomacy Program at the SA Institute of International Affairs. My thanks also today to Professor Sipa Mandla Zondi, Director of the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation at the University of Johannesburg. Well, I hope that is useful in understanding what happened last week.